Last week, we began our new sermon series, Things Christians Say. To start off this sermon series, I preached to us about the true knowledge of God and its intended goal. In looking at the various letters in the New Testament, we can discern how to obtain the true knowledge of God and its God-given purpose. Ultimately, what we highlighted last week was that the goal of the apostles' ministry, the apostolic ministry, if you will, in the first century was to knit together a community of love that had a full assurance of the truth, was renewed by the truth, and became useful and effective in making known the knowledge of God. In word and in deed, again, a fulfillment there of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that the church has been called to make known the manifold wisdom of God. I must continue to be honest at the outset of this series. Things Christians say is a phrase I use more often than not out of frustration. As a community called to be built and established upon the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, displaying the true knowledge of God to the world around us, it's a shame that we the church are oftentimes more so known for our many divisions and hypocrisy between our teachings, the way we make our teachings known, and our lives, than the truth that we stand upon. Then standing upon the promises of God as we sang in our early hymn. Or as Pastor Steve brought before us, the truth of Proverbs chapter 3, that we are called to trust that God would make our, our path straight, that his wisdom would lead us, not our own. And as Sister Meredith shared with us in song, singing about the precious word, It's a shame that we're not known for these things. Rather, we're known for our hypocrisy in declaring these things, in expressing these things to a world that so desperately needs the truth from his word. Of course, the Christian community has said and done many good things. I'd be remiss if I did not mention that. However, as I mentioned last week, it would be fitting for us to review the wisdom that the Apostle Paul shared with Timothy his spiritual son. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy that he is to guard his teachings and to guard his life because in doing so, he will save his hearers as well as himself. And then we also see in 2 Timothy, the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his spiritual son, he reminds him to hold firm to the holy scriptures that have made him wise toward salvation in Jesus Christ. Those are the two most foremost things that we must take into consideration as we consider things Christians say. That we would be a people that guard our lives and guard our teachings. We would be a people that seek out the Holy Scriptures because we know they make us wise unto salvation. I also explained to us last week how we will go through this series. Each month, for the next six months, we will focus on one of six categories up for review. From now until the end of October, we will look at things Christians say in regards to the Bible. Today I want to specifically focus on what exactly it means to say, I believe in the Bible. Or, I am a Bible-believing Christian. And some other phrases that Christians have said in that regard. So what comes to mind when we think about Christians and the Bible? I know many of you have shared with me different thoughts about things your friends and your family, the confusion that some friends and family may have, even Christians, where they'll say, I just do not understand the Bible, or the the Bible is just a bunch of stories. 
And the unfortunate thing is that this is coming from the mouths of Christians. We're going to take a look at a couple texts here. The first text I want to take a look at is 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turning to the scriptures for our study this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, again remembering this is the second letter that the Apostle Paul has written to his spiritual son Timothy. And here, let's start at verse 10, and we're going to read through to verse 17. Now you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, and love, and perseverance, persecution, and sufferings. Such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I have endured, and out of all of them the Lord has rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, Timothy, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have been able to know the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's quite a few things that we need to see from this passage. First thing that should come to mind is that in proclaiming the gospel, there's two things that are going to happen. That when we go about proclaiming the gospel, the world stands in opposition to the truth. The world, as we highlighted in our last sermon series, is stuck in wickedness. The world needs the gospel to find true life. So it's our prerogative to preach the gospel, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. But in doing so, we're going to be persecuted. The world is going to stand in opposition to the truth that we are bringing about because we are moving them away from leaning upon their own understanding. We are moving them away from the traditions of men pointing to Jesus Christ. So all who proclaim the gospel will be persecuted, indeed. We've seen this in the first century. We see it today that the Christians are not the, the favored of society because we are called to be bold in our proclamation, following after our Messiah who is known to speak with authority. Continuing here, we know that those that oppose us will go from bad to worse. We see this. It's evident. It continues to happen. However, us, those in the truth, Timothy, you are to continue in what you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. Knowing the sacred writings that lead to wisdom through salvation in faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God. Inspired. Meaning that this wisdom does not come by men looking out you know, I have some friends that say this. They're not Christians, though. But they'll say that, you know, they believe the Bible to be some very wise men that sat down and had a council and, and began to contemplate what would be the wise thing to do in their times. Again, that's simply ignorance of the scriptures of the time and the context. We'll get to that. However, we are to continue in the doctrines, the scriptures, knowing that they are inspired, that this truth has been God-breathed, as some translations Note there, this is not something that comes by private interpretation or wise men thinking up these truths. No, this truth that is inspired by God, something that we cannot convince men of, meaning inspiration must come from God. The conviction that the scriptures are useful for profitable and t for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness must come from God. And when it does, it will equip the, very, the man of God when he is diligent in studying to show himself approved. I don't want to go too far ahead of myself here in my, my text. But if that man studies to show himself approved, that man will be fully equipped for the work that he's been called to. 
He will be fully equipped to lean upon the words of Scripture for everything pertaining to life and godliness, as we see promised through Scripture. But again, that inspiration does not come from us. It does not come from man. I've had to tell many of my friends that it is not my job to convince you of the inspiration of the Bible. I can do my best to prove to you the inerrancy. I can do my best to prove to you the historicity. However, it is not my job to prove to you the inspiration. That comes from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, matter of fact, we read about this. I'm going to take us there to that text. I have to say, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is one of the first passages of Scripture that ever truly convicted me of God's truth. And you'll understand why as we go through this text here. I'm going to say, let's open up with the entire reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he says to them, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or with wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, which was predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For unto us God has revealed these things through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. For we now have the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. I like some translations say the word discerned. They are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. He himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we would instruct that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. You see, this text convicted me that the reason why I had read the Bible numerous times in my former life, you know, I had many times sitting in my room contemplating life and thinking about all the despairs and the woes of my world picked up the Bible and looked at the book of Proverbs and wrote down Proverbs and Psalms that convicted me and spoke to me. I had seen my mother doing this, stuck in addiction, many times. When I was in prison, I would pray to God and reach out to him and hope and grasp at straws for something to change in my mind. I would look back at the scriptures and I would, you know, sort of uh, allow them to be a personal meditative thing that I imagine many in our society do. But I did not understand and allow the truth of Scripture to really bear upon me and convict me. That was the Spirit's work. Because the Spirit makes known to things of, the things of the Spirit to man. And that Spirit comes from God. These things are spiritually discerned. That is so important when we talk about our understanding of the Bible. These truths are spiritually discerned. They are given to the man that is spiritual, not to the man that is natural. 
And the man that is spiritual must be called and elected and predestined by God. We see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, that no scripture is of private interpretation. These things have not been written down by men that looked at their current situation and spoke wise words. No, this truth is from God. It is beyond that. It is above the mere thinking of man. And that is why it was held in such a high regard in Old Covenant Israel. That is why when the Apostle Paul went to Berea with the gospel, where they had all the Old Testament writings, and he went to them with the message of the gospel about Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ was fulfilling the law and the prophets, how those Bereans, they searched the scriptures. It says the, the Bereans were noble, and they searched the scriptures to see if what the Apostle Paul had said was true because they would not receive these new things, this new covenant message, which the New Testament is detailing, unless... It was the fulfillment of the Old Testament writings that they had already understood to be not the mere thoughts of man because the law of Moses demanded that if a prophet said something in his current time and that did not come to pass, that man would be killed. But we know that the prophet Jeremiah was you know, killed by his contemporaries, Isaiah. The prophets were killed by their contemporaries because their message was indeed true and it convicted and convinced many people in their generation and that truth spoke for generations to the hope that they had in the Messiah. That's why when the Apostle Paul began to preach about who the Messiah was and the Messiah coming to fulfill all the jots and tittles of that old covenant, the Bereans searched the scriptures to see if what the Apostle Paul said was true. We go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, and we read there about the man of God who must rightly divide the word of truth. That if we study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, the man of God need not be ashamed. That implies quite a few things that we are studying. Studying to show ourselves approved. Searching, proving, studying in context. Rightly dividing the word of truth means holding it in context. Understanding the narrative of the Bible. Understanding the context of the law and the prophets. And how Jesus Christ came to fulfill that hope that they had. That would bring no shame. That's the solution to the problems in the Garden of Eden. Who doesn't want that? So what is the Bible? The Bible is a collection of historic writings. I know most of my friends do not seem to understand this. That the Bible is a collection of historic writings that the historic church has deemed inspired by God. That these are not mere truths from man. But the collection of these 66 different writings, 27 in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament... 39 writings of Old Covenant Israel, their hopes and their prophets. The New Testament showing how Jesus Christ came to fulfill all of that. Context is truly key in understanding the Bible. In not only understanding the details in the Bible, but also in understanding how the Bible has come to us. All the historicity behind the writings of the Bible. You know, I stand upon these 66 books. That these are the inspired truths of God. That this is the whole narrative of God's covenanting with man and the will and the truth that he has desired to give us and present to us. What I do not do is stand upon tradition. And that's going to be important as we talk about the teachings of the Bible as we go through this series. Quite a few of these truths are going to be very evident as we go through this series. We're going to note that we have to treat the scriptures as if they've been given to us to make the man of God, not the world, the man of God, equipped for every good work. That they make us wiser unto salvation. The scriptures, 
We're going to have to know that the scriptures are spiritually discerned. That the wisdom from the scriptures is not always evident. It must be spiritually discerned and understood. That none of it is of private interpretation. And we are not at liberty to misinterpret and to misapply the text to arrive at our own understandings and our own interpretations according to our itching ears. We are to search the scriptures as the noble Bereans did. And we are to rightly divide the word of truth, studying to show ourselves approved. And when we do those things, we will not stand upon tradition. We will stand upon the scriptures. We will say the things that Christians are called to say. This is what I would call authentically declaring the word of truth. I've preached a sermon here at the church on that topic. And I believe that's how we authentically make known the word of truth, is by observing those passages, those scriptures that we've remarked about and talked about this morning. And those scriptures also highlight what it means to be a Bible-believing Christian. Everything I've said so far this morning highlights what it means to be a Christian. One of the things I've heard Christians say that is a bit dismaying is this, that the Bible is an acronym, right? Basic instructions before leaving earth. Listen to this phrase, a paragraph here from a Christian online. He said, one of the best acronyms I have ever heard is an acronym for the Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Life is like a college class. At the end, there is a final exam. Those who pass the exam inherit eternal life. And those who do not pass go to eternal punishment. The Bible is like a syllabus for the class. It gives us what is required in order for us to pass the class of life. We should be disgusted at that type of thinking. John 17 verse 3 reminds us that eternal life is not something that we inherit when we live well in this class called life. John 17 3 reminds us that eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. That it is not a life that I get when I die physically here on earth. It's a life that I now live with my Savior. His presence in my life. We would do well to study that concept out. These uh very quick thinking type of phrases that Christians make are often more discrediting to our message than enhancing. These are not basic instructions before leaving earth. This is the Holy Scriptures that are here to make man wiser in his salvation. To allow man to understand Jesus Christ in his life. To stand upon the teachings and the words of Jesus as a foundation. These are the scriptures that will make man profitable in his work of God. This is not making you pass an exam. Many of you have heard me talk again and again about Ken Ham's remarks in his debate with Bill Nye. Again, capture this. You have Bill Nye, an atheistic scientist that is well known all throughout our society. And you have Ken Ham, a theologian, if you will, who is known for being the conservative view of the Bible and you put them up against each other and you hear Ken Ham say things like I believe in the Bible and then when offered the opportunity to begin to explain biblical details in regards to Genesis and how they relate to God and man and the truth of God bearing upon man his only argument was to hold up his Bible and say God was there offering no substance or argument against the notions of what Bill Nye had said, and instead just hold up his Bible and acted as though saying, I believe in the Bible and God was there, is a sufficient answer to the critiques of what we believe. 
This has also reminded me of things Christians say, such as, I believe in nothing but the Bible, or I only read the Bible, and all the superficial, out-of-context, ripped-apart mentions and uses of what we know to be the Holy Scriptures. How offensive. Let's just say this this morning, that it is impossible to say I believe in nothing but the Bible because the Bible is contingent upon the knowledge of the, the contemporary scene. When Isaiah was prophesying to Egypt, it is important to understand what was going on in contemporary Egypt in order to understand Isaiah's prophecy there in Isaiah chapter 19. In order to understand all the events that were going on there in Egypt and you know the historicity of the Exodus, we must understand that scene. We must understand what was going on in that culture. In order to understand a lot of the euphemisms and idioms found in the Bible, we must understand the culture, and they're not always explained in the Bible. So those are rather frustrating and silly, you know, uh, jerk thinking, I guess is the right way to put it. You know, that jerk reaction phrases that Christians use, and they do not enhance our work. They do not, do not build us up in making known the manifold wisdom of God. They do not equip the man of God for the use of ministry. They seem to go against us. How about the phrase I've heard many Christians say, I just pray and read my Bible. You know, usually this is done by the unchurching movement there, the people that want, do not want to wake up on a Sunday morning. There's pros and cons to this thinking. Sure, the substance of our faith is not found in making sure your alarm clock goes off so you're stressed out to fight in the church parking lot and be at church. No, of course not. The, you know, the, the intention of our faith is to have that relationship with God and to understand the truth of Scripture so that we would be compelled to help the world understand the truth of Scripture. But the cons, the negative effect of that type of thinking, that individualist type of thinking, is that I know most of what I've learned about the Word of God has come from corporate settings where I've been challenged and maybe even rebuked if need be. You're missing out on that. I just pray and read my Bible. There's a lot more to it. If you're reading the Bible. Many people I know would say things such as the world has changed. We live in a different time. And I know that's often a frustrating quote. And there's, you know, again, there's truth and power to this statement that we do live in a different time. There's a context to the details of scripture. But the truth of God rings out through every generation. The church is still alive, making known the manifold wisdom of God. And we are called to do so in a manner of searching out, studying out, and proving out or proving the things of Scripture. So we've talked a lot about Bible interpretation this morning. Prayerfully, I've challenged you to know why you say you're a Bible-believing Christian or that you believe in the Bible. These are things we must study out and prove. There's no easy way to put it. Even when we hear people say things such as, what does the Bible say about? That's something most Christians are known to do. What does the Bible say about this topic? Or what does the Bible say about this topic? And that is a very good thing to do because we're seeking out the wisdom of God. However, it's important to know that the scriptures have a context to them. And we must highlight the context if we're to be Bible-believing people. Because otherwise, what we're doing is we're making the scriptures of private interpretation. We're not allowing the truth within that proper context to bear upon us. We're making truth according to our own design. And if there's one thing I want you to leave with here this morning, it's knowing that if we are standing upon the promises of God, we're standing upon the promises of God in context, not the promises of God that we have made up according to our own idolatrous notions. 
And the church, yes, is very guilty of that. In conclusion to this morning's messages, this morning's message, I want to say this. There's no limit to the power of a Bible passage spiritually discerned, studied through audience relevance in an effort to move away from private interpretation, searched out and rightly presented. There's no limit to the power that that passage can have. This being done, this being something Christians do and say, has the very potential to change the world. If we would just remember, context is key. That's going to be a foremost thing in our studies through all the various topics that we're going to be speaking about in this sermon series. There's no excuse for Christians not to study, nor to depend upon the traditions of men. That does not make you a Bible believer. Instead, I love what Edward Fudge, if there was somebody that could articulate and argue for a Bible-believing Christian in opposition to a traditional thinking Christian, it would be Edward Fudge. And he said this, if someone puts church tradition ahead of biblical teaching, that person is rarely motivated to consider change. We need to be a people that are considering change. We need to be a people that are ever-reforming, renewing our minds by way of the Word of God daily. Not standing upon the traditions of men that invalidate the word of God. Not invalidating the word of God by our own idolatrous thoughts, leaning upon our own understandings. No, moving away from that. So the grow and go for this week is going to be to do exactly this, to study out a passage in context. Find a way, learn something from a contextual passage. Study it out, do the work. And share it with a friend. Because I truly believe that your studies and your boldness will be rewarded. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. We ask, Lord, that as Christians who hold the Bible dearly to us, as Christians who desire to be a people who can say we are a Bible-believing people, Lord, allow us to understand the context of Scripture. Lead us further in understanding your truth in its proper context so that we can properly apply that to our lives and give that wisdom to the nations in an effort to heal the nations, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We are dismayed that Christians say things more often than not that do not line up with our faith, Lord. Convict us of those areas in our own lives. Convict us and give us a boldness to speak out where we see that being done so that we would defend the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Lord, thank you. Thank you for everything you've given us pertaining to life and godliness. We praise and magnify you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.